The Enneacast is sponsored in part by Your Enneagram Coach. Did you know that you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transformed right from the comfort of your own home while also making an excellent income? Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com B-E-C. There, you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com B-E-C. And on, I'll let you speak first, Kat. I want to hear what you no, have to say. No, I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think we, we've had to learn how to fight. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. This season is all about story. And today, we are still in the gut triad with the story of Type 9s, commonly known as... The best number on the Enneagram. Not true. <laughs> it's the peacemaker. Yeah, the peacemaker, the peaceful person. Yes. So all of our Type episodes will be expounding on the content found in our workbook, Mapping Your Enneagram Story. So if you haven't yet listened to episode one from this season that walks you through the workbook and how to use it, I encourage you to do that first. Right. And to get a copy of the Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, go to mappingyourstory.com. You can listen to the season without it, but it's really going to help the content come alive and make it more personal for you as you actually explore your story in detail. So I encourage you to pick that up by heading over to mappingyourstory.com. All right. So Sam... I know you're not very familiar with this type, uh, so maybe we should do a refresher <laughs> yes, before we begin. Here are type nines when they're healthy. These folks are patient, they are diplomatic, they're receptive, they're non-judgmental, and they are mediators of creative compromise. And when they're unhealthy, they tend to avoid conflict, they tend to feel overwhelmed easily, they can be indecisive, they procrastinate, and they can just be oblivious and kind of numb. So this season, we're looking at how the Enneagram plus life story equals clarity. We really need both components to get the full picture. Let's explore the Enneagram story for type nine. So Sam, where does that story start? It really begins in childhood. Um, Most nines report feeling themes of being overpowered or unheard. And so this could either be in scenarios where there's a lot of overbearing personalities, such as, you know, the parent or some siblings, maybe have some boisterous personality that they kind of felt squashed. Um, Or there's a kind of the opposite where there's a lot of neglect or just indifference that's present in the home. And so you often see, you know, maybe middle children are come out as nines or parents that work all the time or parents that have gone a lot. They can kind of produce that nine energy for the child. Yeah. Like maybe the kid interprets their parents' actions as unresponsive. Yeah. 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 Nothing I do will, will change kind of what's going on around me. So if you have a copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, look through the life turns that you mapped and take note if you see this theme of being overpowered or unheard appear in any of your life turns that you mapped. Uh, And if you haven't yet, go back and listen to the first episode of this season because Sam actually articulates a memory from her childhood that really clearly pictures why Mm -hmm. she's a nine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so it'll give you an example of what we're talking about. 
we talked about the childhood theme of being overpowered and unheard. And so this experience leaves the nine feeling an unconscious childhood message, which it's not okay to assert yourself or to think too much of yourself. Yeah. What do you think about that message? How much time do you have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's It definitely resonates. I would say, you know, as we've gone through the season, I, I have an understanding of the Enneagram in a very cognitive way as we go through these nine types. But as we get to type nine, I'm like, oh, this is very true. This is very embodied. I, I totally resonate with all of this, the life turn stuff and the childhood stuff. And so it's it's definitely different when you get when you hear your own number played out. Mm hmm. The unconscious childhood message leaves the nine wanting a good thing, which is to be at peace and to have wholeness. And of course, this is something good. You know, we all desire peace to a certain extent. But for the nine, it's it kind of leads to some unhealthy behaviors. Jesse, can you kind of expand on that? Yeah. So all this stuff happens, you know, in early childhood. And it's a backstory that sets the stage for the nurturing of our false self. And for the nine, this nurturing of the false self really begins when the nine begins to settle. We're all prone to settle for substitutes. And for the nine, they want to have peace and wholeness, but they end up settling for harmony. And the difference there is that peace and wholeness sort of has this transcendent sort of notion to it, the sense of I'm going to receive peace from God, I'm going to receive peace in God's timing, versus harmony is more about don't disrupt me. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it's more about I have an internal flow and an internal state and a way that I really want to do things. And anything that disrupts it is troublesome and bothersome to me. Yeah. I have a note that I'm going to play. You have a note that you're going to play. If they sound good together, great. If they don't, it's not my problem. Like, yeah. harmony just, it's a musical term, you know, yeah. so I think that it kind of has a pretty connotation. But for the nine, it, it leads to some some unhealthy stuff. And here's why. The reason that nines are so prone to settle for harmony is because it offers them two things. The first thing that it offers them is contentment. It offers them the ability to just kind of sit in life in a way that's enjoyable, mm -hmm. uh, in a way that's that feels good in that moment and doesn't stir up too much relational strife. The second thing it offers them is connection. Nines are deeply afraid of feeling disconnected from the people around them. Nines really value just having relational connection and peace in their life. And because the nine begins to believe that harmony will give them what they want, eventually harmony becomes an idol. So the nine will easily devote themselves to harmony and even be willing to go to great lengths in order to maintain it. And in fact, they begin to sacrifice good things in order to please this idol of harmony. What are some of those things that they sacrifice? Okay, so first, nines will sacrifice their own desires, their own feelings, and their own opinions because those will bring conflict. They bring conflict internally for the nine because they got to make choices and decisions and they got to weigh all the factors and then they actually have to come to a resolution, a conclusion. But also, if you share a desire, a feeling, an opinion, other people may not like it, or maybe you can't even get to, you won't be able to fulfill the desires that you want. Uh, the second thing is that they have to sacrifice the belief that they matter or that they can make a difference. Because if you love harmony, then it says, don't rock the boat. That's kind of like, mm -hmm. if, if I can make a difference in this world, that comes with the notion of conflict. I'm going to show up. I'm going to assert myself. But harmony says, don't do that. <laughs> Just sit down, relax, you know, keep the peace. The third thing that they have to sacrifice is sadly the growth that comes from healthy conflict. Every story we love, characters grow and change because of the conflict that they endure. 
And when nines give up conflict as a good redemptive thing, they're also foregoing growth. Growth happens through healthy conflict. So in this pursuit of harmony and this cycle of constantly sacrificing to this idol, the nine creates the perfect conditions to grow their deadly sin. And for the nine, the deadly sin is sloth. Another way to think of it is, you know, indolence or laziness. It's not the cute little animal that we find at the zoo. It's it's the idea of just slowness and an apathy. It's more than just laziness after a hard day's work. It's just, it's embodied. It's, it becomes a part of who they are. Yeah. Indolence is this idea of like literally an avoidance of exertion. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally and, and in particular the number one area that the nine does this is internally paying attention to things that matter. That's the number one area that the nine is tempted to ignore. What's important inside of me that's going on? The stakes feel too high. That's the one thing I'm not going to do. It's it's sneaky because it's like I'll do other things, <laughs> like yeah, I'm gonna pay attention to secondary and tertiary things. Yeah, I like to call it the concentric circles of procrastination. <laughs> it's a working title, but picture a bullseye. They're aiming for the number one, while simultaneously avoiding the number one <laughs> ring, and they're gonna settle for rings two or three or four or five or six. You know, depending on the level of of procrastination that they're willing to do. But it's like any time the stakes get high, that's the thing I'm gonna ignore. But the number one area the nines ignore is what's going on inside of them. Yeah. And so here are some of the ways that the nine grows sloth in pursuit of harmony. So they do that through excessive media, excessive TV, excessive food, or just passive activities. They do that through avoiding conflict. They do that through joining a group but never participating. So there's a false sense of of connection there. And they do that through boring jobs. So nines often settle and kind of stay stagnant professionally when they could move up. But to Jesse's point, to show up and to get in the ring will somehow inevitably require conflict. Yeah. So again, if you have mapping your Enneagram story, take a look at your emotional map and notice some of your dominant emotions. Can you see sloth showing up in any of your memories? And if you're like, well, I'm not slothful, you may need to do some more work because often sloth is growing unnoticed. And that's because sin is adaptable. It learns how to defend itself. And the nine's defense of their sin is through their psychological defense mechanism known as numbing. Literally, conflicts are avoided and feelings are numbed. So the nine will make a beeline towards something that's much lower stakes, that sort of occupies their mind and their attention just long enough to basically not have to tend to the thing that's causing them conflict. So if there's something in their life, a project, a relationship, a feeling that they're having, they will pursue something to allow them to numb those things out. That's why it's called a deadly sin for a reason, because sloth is destructive, but it tries to disguise itself as something good or helpful. Um, and I've definitely seen that from my own life. And so the inner mantra for the nine that they end up living with is your overwhelming demands justify my resistant slothfulness. Oh, we didn't mention this in the eight episode, but for the gut triad, because they're interested in guilt and blame shifting, all three of them will start with your this, your this, That's so right. your overwhelming demands. So I think it's interesting that there's a blame shift even in, in how they mm-hmm. manage and, and manifest this, this stuff. Somebody's guilty here. It's not me. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's super interesting. Yeah. So, you know, of all the Enneagram types, nines are the most stubborn. Yep. This is really a picture of like if you own a donkey and you're like walking the donkey <laughs> and then the donkey just decides it's tired and the donkey sits down. So you pull and pull. So the donkey lays down. Like it's just that sense of like, I will move at my own pace and my own way when I feel like it. And it really is. I mean, that 
your overwhelming demands justify my resistant slothfulness. So where does this all leave the nine? It leaves them appeasing others. It leaves them guilty and it leaves them stubborn. Yeah. And appeasing, again, is this idea of uh, I'm going to say whatever I've got to say to make you stop pushing on me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this is bad news, but God doesn't leave us where we are. And for every person, there's a moment in our story when we encounter Jesus. And in Jesus, nines, we finally see the true peacemaker. And Sam, how do we see the true peacemaker in Jesus? Um, We see it a few different ways. We see it through his composure, through his peaceableness, and through his love. Yeah, I've come to bring peace, not a sword. How is his birth heralded? Peace on earth and goodwill to men. And so there's... there's... He's literally called the Prince of Peace. I guess I should have started with that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, you know, there's, there's a sense where he could have had a very frazzled disposition, you know, when the crowds were kind of joining and swarming, but he was very composed. We also see it through his love. He was very kind and compassionate. Yeah. And similar to nines have a real gift of being able to see all different people as unique individuals. They can really just see that there are differences in people and they can see the interconnectedness of people. And Jesus had that gift too. He really didn't treat every single person the exact same way. He understood that everybody's wired different. And, you know, and here's the deal. In order for anyone to gain our trust, they have to give us two things. The first thing they have to give us is they have to empathize with our wounds. And the second thing is that they have to show us their authority. And Jesus gives us both of these things. So, Nines, how does Jesus empathize with your wounds? Jesus was unheard by the passive, and he was overpowered by the powerful. He knows what that experience is like in life, and he knows what it is to bear that wound. Yeah, he shows his authority by affirming the true self of the nine because Jesus was calm, patient, accepting, and often asleep. <laughs> yeah. and, and so he's showing that there's nothing wrong with, with rest. Um, but he also confronts the false self of the nine because out of love, Jesus entered conflict to obtain true reconciliation with others. Yeah, you would see him step in and he was, he was, he wanted peace, but he understood that peace comes with sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Like peace comes with uh, showing up and, ass- and asserting your presence. So how did Jesus do this? You know, how is it that Jesus was the Prince of Peace? How was it that he loved others so well? How was it that he met people where they were and showed so much compassion? And yet at no point did he give in to the sin of sloth. How is that even possible? It's possible because he believed the father who told him, your presence matters. And Jesus now turns to you, nines, and to you, he says, your presence matters. In Luke 21, we read, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength. Nines, God is calling you to wake up to the life that you are living. And out of believing this message Jesus speaks to us, we start to see the redemption of our true self. The Holy Spirit is able to work into the nine what they originally wanted, which was to be at peace. And one of the ways he often does this is through the virtue of exertion. That is faith displayed as action. A lot of times nines have a cognitive view or philosophical view of, of faith or even just a theological view, but it's it's faith embodied, faith in action, just playing the fruits of the spirit. Fruit implies growth. It implies, you know, action. And so you have to get in the ring. You have to show up. You have to exert. Yeah. You have to kind of move beyond being just a ghost and then to like 
tangible, Mm -hmm. you know? Nines feel most comfortable as sort of ghostly wallflowers. Mm -hmm. And what this is saying is it's saying, show up. Like, show up for what's going on inside of you. Show up for the people around you because Jesus has just told you that your presence does matter. Yeah. And and here's what's amazing that happens is that instead of growing the deadly sin of sloth, this virtue of exertion instead grows the fruit of autonomy. You know, the nine is so tempted just to merge with everybody, to go with the flow and whatever's kind of the path of least resistance. And what this virtue invites him into and gives him a gift of is, you get to be your own unique person, your own individual. And sure, you are definitely connected to the broader community, but you're also distinctly your own person. Again, refer to mapping your Enneagram story timeline here. Do you see exertion show up in any of your turns? It's okay if you don't. You know, virtues, they take time to grow. So ask the Holy Spirit to help grow exertion in you. I promise it's worth it. And if you do see it, then praise the Lord. He's redeeming your story and making you more complete in him. And as the nine continues to walk with God and be transformed, instead of reflecting an appeasing or a stubborn spirit, their true self starts to reflect God's character. And nines, here's what you reflect back to the world. You reflect God's peace and his unity. And this story isn't just an invitation for nines. There's an invitation for all of us here, and that is to bring peace and healing into the world. Well, that is the Enneagram story for Type 9s. When we come back, we will be talking with special guests, Pastor Lyle Drury and his wife, Kathy Drury, both 9s. First time ever that we've actually had a married couple. I'm so excited. I know. (laughs) So stay with us. We'll be back. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults, like Ellis Bobbitt from Illinois. I spent my time as a worship intern, and I really just learned a lot of technical skills, but I also developed community that I've never had before. It meant a lot to me to have strong community because I come from a place where I didn't have a lot of strong Christian community in my school until recently. And Love Thy Neighborhood has definitely played a role in allowing me to grow further in that and just taking what I learned back to school with me. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. So we actually have two guests today. Pastor Lyle Drury and his wife, Kathy Drury, they are getting ready to celebrate 25 years of marriage this month. They are members of Sojourn Church J-Town, where Lyle serves as a lead pastor. They have four children, all boys, and they are both nines on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Lyle and Kathy. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I guess, you know, I just want to ask this, like, How did you guys stumble across the Enneagram and what role has it played in your all's relationship over the last few years? Yeah, um, we stumbled across the Enneagram uh, in the midst of a struggle. So I'd been, I don't know, probably year two in my time at Sojourn J-Town. And I met up with a guy named Jim Cofield who's a part of Crosspoint Ministries. Yeah, and Jim Jim is a good friend. He was just uh, our Type 5 episode. Oh, yeah, Jim just yeah, joined us. Yeah. yeah, and so I was, he came and spoke, him and Rich came and spoke at a kind of a conference we were doing at the church at that time. And after he spoke, I just came up to him and said, you know, I, I feel like we're kind of in a season where both my wife and I need to sit down and spend some time with you. Yeah, it was kind of a, 
low point in our lives. We had two sons and then we had a daughter and she died at five months old. And just through that experience over a slow, gradual thing, I kind of fell into a depression. And that was, Lyle was very kind. That was probably what motivated him to go to Jim and say, we need help. We started meeting with Jim. And one of the first things he had us do is sending our Enneagram scores. And that began our journey of kind of like what this thing is. Yeah. Did the type nine resonate with either of you immediately? Yes. Yes, definitely. It's, <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, all right, that's that's really, it's kind of weird and a little eerie of how well it it defines you. It's like, oh my, but it makes you feel strange. Yeah, I think for both of us, we right away were like, oh yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And and saw in each other also. Yeah. Did it did it give you guys kind of language, you know, in your own relationship that, that maybe you previously didn't have language for certain elements and attributes? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like it helped explain a lot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, even though we didn't fight, the only reason we didn't fight is because we just stuffed it and kept it down. And we both kind of like prided ourselves in having a marriage that didn't fight. And for us, we felt like not having conflict was equating to health. And so it just it just created a, a vocabulary to kind of help us understand like w- what is really going on in this relationship, you know? So, and just even like the word to, to declare, yeah, like we didn't realize we had, tr- or I didn't realize I had trouble declaring. I remember Jim asked me one, our very first meeting, like, tell me, I don't remember how many it was like five things that you want or need. I can't remember which word he used. And I was embarrassed because I couldn't even think of things that I needed or I wanted. And I was like, who can't tell somebody what they need or what they want? But it was just so hard for me in that stage to declare what I needed. So if it's okay, I want to ask about childhood wounds. You know, many nines describe a theme of of being overpowered or unheard in their childhood. You know, looking back for each of you, does that does that feel true for either one of you? And if so, in, in what way that you would feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, even as you were talking there, some of the things I remember um, early, one of my earliest childhood memories, I mean, I'm not going to share all of them, obviously, but one of them I remember, my my dad was a minister of uh, music and youth when he was, uh, when we were, when I was younger. And I remember one time my dad uh, had the youth over to the house and I was probably maybe six, seven years old. I was really young. And I was kind of hamming it up as a six or seven year old would do in front of a bunch of teenagers. And I just remember my dad like kind of quickly shutting me down and using language of just similar to like quit showing off right in front of everyone in there. And I just, first of all, you'd feel shameful and feel embarrassed and feel like, okay, I'll, I'll never do that again. I'll never put myself out there like that. And um, I mean, that's one of many kind of, I can remember from my, my, my childhood memories. Yeah. And I am literally the middle child in my family. So you mentioned that earlier. And when everyone, when we talk Enneagram and I say that I'm a nine peacemaker, my whole family's like, yes, you know, that's very much for me. I was praised for that, for not being needy, for being easygoing. So I probably put my own needs down because of that, because I was praised for it. 
Um, and then you, I think you said you might've had a boisterous family member or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, my sister is a lot of fun, but yeah. she is, you know, and she had a lot of conflicts with my parents. And so I was constantly the one trying to create peace in all those relationships. I remember calling a family meeting one time and just saying, look, there is too much fighting going on. I can't, we can't handle this. My brother and I, we can't handle this. It, it needs to stop. You know, so for like, a, I was probably middle school age child that's, you know, calling a family meeting to stop all the fighting. Um, I was very much the peacemaker and resonate with that in my family. So we talked earlier about nine settling for and idolizing harmony. Has that shown up at all in either of your lives or, or even in your marriage? And, and, and if so, how? Yeah, I, I would say it's interesting. And we are in the middle of a situation downstairs with our boys. That we're having, <laughs> having and so there's there's uh, not harmony happening in our home at this moment. It's really interesting. I would say this, Jesse, I, I never had thought of that word harmony. Uh, but boy, it really does kind of resonate with me. And I, and I have found that in me. I think that's the biggest thing for me. When I stepped into a lead pastor role, man, it it really rocked my world. And it, that's one of the reasons why I had to, we, we spent a few years with Jim. It's like, I don't know if I can do this because I was even questioning, and I still do at times, you know, can I really be a pastor and be wired in such the way that I am? Because I, I struggle and I still do with creating conflict within someone. Like it is a constant battle for me. I would rather have all the conflict in my interior world than get that out by addressing something that's going on in a church member or a staff member or one of my elders. I don't want to create disharmony in them. I would rather kind of keep this false harmony sort of, but that is a constant. I mean, I think I've grown in it, but I'm telling you, I still even listen to the teaching on this it reminds me, man, this is a real issue because it's easy for me just to settle and say, all right, I'm just going to be kind of content with just um, this falsetto of peace, so to speak, that's not real. So I really resonate a whole lot with that word harmony. Well, it's funny when he first took this job some of the other lead pastors would talk about angry Lyle that yeah. came out. And I was like, what are they talking about? Lyle is never angry. There's never angry Lyle. Yeah. But it was, it pushed him so much to have to declare or speak up and, you know, conflict that it always came out as angry, even if he wasn't angry about it or that passionate in that way. But for him to, he was just forced into a corner to where yeah. he had to declare and it was really just, hard. Yeah. That came out as anger. Yeah. yeah. And they would love it. They would say, oh, good. Angry Lyle's coming out. You know. <laughs> and I didn't like it. But man, it got to times where I've just got pushed in places and it was just really, really uncomfortable. I mean, that my first couple of years at the church was really some of the hardest years I've had. So. But I feel like that's where the Enneagram was so helpful for both of us and yeah. for you, because like you said, it named it and it took the condemnation out of it. Yeah. Like I'm not weak. I'm not whatever, you know, and I don't have to be angry. Yeah. This is hard for me and that's okay. Like I'm still loved and accepted and have a voice. Yeah. Yeah. I have a 
alternate ego as well called Sassy Sam. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's my version of asserting myself. It comes out a little sideways because it's a little sarcastic and a little sassy. And But my, especially my eight friends or my more like energetic friends are like, yeah, she's here, you know, but it's, it's, it takes a lot of the wind out of me a little bit just to say like, hey, actually, what if we didn't do that? Or, you know, just to assert myself in any kind of minute way. To your point, I, I really resonate with what you said about I would rather feel all of the conflict myself than have anybody feel an ounce of inconvenience. Well, we talked about um, in our teaching time that there's there's good news, and the good news is that God brings a message to type nines, and the type the message that He brings to type nines is your presence matters. You know what what part of that message resonates with you, and you know has there been a time in your life where that really has struck you? It's something I'm working on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would say number one for me, it's 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 a battle to kind of still believe that. I, you know, I mean, it's easy for me to believe my presence is kind of like annoying, or my presence is that I don't have anything to really offer to this. You know, there's other people that have more profound thoughts and things like that, and so it's really helpful to hear. And I need to be reminded of that. And actually, you know, a lot of all the other lead pastors within our our collective you know, often affirm and encourage that out of me that they use language of like, we want more of Lyle. And I want to hear that and live into that. But I think part of the continued work that God's doing to me, it's just hard for me to do that, you know, because I just don't, you know, part of nine's issues is they have, they self-diminish, they push themselves down, they don't think they really matter. And so it's hard for me to really believe that I have something of substance to really offer. And so, yeah, your words there are a good reminder uh, that I need to hear. Kathy, for you, for one thing that was helpful for me in, t- in understanding the your presence matters thing is thinking of the kind of inverse of it and thinking that your absence matters, like, and not in like a, a good way, like, oh, your absence, like we love when you're absent, but like you're, we notice when you're absent because your presence matters. Is that, does that resonate a little bit more? Yeah, that really does. You just saying that because I do think I bring calmness and patience and, you know, all those other things, you know, accepting. I think I love others well. And, and I can feel like that would be missed when I'm not there. Yeah. So I'm, as you guys talk, like one of the things that I love that I'm seeing the benefit of like two nines in a marriage together is you guys create a unified front pretty quickly, you know? And so when the, you know, the pressures of the world push on you all as a couple, it seems like you guys could come together really well. My question is, I'm curious about what are the strengths and the hardships of both being nines in a marriage together? Mm-hmm. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> no pressure. I think one of the strengths is this, it's just enjoyable. It's yeah. like we're it's easygoing. You know, we, we we do have fun together. And if we were with like somebody we're, that yeah. was like constant conflict, we would fold. Like we would yeah. fold. Like yeah, yeah. we're we're flexible. You know what I'm saying? Like things are just not going to get us. People, we have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah, yeah. Like just yeah, we're just going to have a really good time. You know, just kind of all right. Let's let's go have some fun. I think where it's really hard, and I'll let you speak first, Kat. I want to hear what you no, have to say. What's hard. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think we, we've had to learn how to fight. We have. We've, we've gotten to a place where we finally realized that he- healthy conflict is really good for us. And it actually leads to a, a deeper relationship and true, true peace. And so, and, and I'm not, I don't even know if I haven't learned how to do that well. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm still kind of growing. We've been married almost 25 years. 
and we're still kind of growing in that. So okay. that's the one big difficulty I would say. What would you say? Well, I, I feel I agree with you. I feel like the good. Well, I feel like we're fun. That's the good. Is yeah. that we enjoy each other, and I wouldn't enjoy being with someone that I was constantly in conflict with. That would, whew, I would not survive yeah. in that type of situation. Um, I think in parenting, like I can encourage him easily with his work stuff because he he does do a great job. But in parenting, that sometimes has come up yeah. where, you know, me speaking up that I need more. He wants to just keep peace and maybe can even stay back a little bit. And I would say, I need you to step in. I need you to correct them because I'm always correcting them. Yeah. So I think in parenting, because, you know, parenting is hard and we yeah. can see everybody, their point of view and, you know, and it makes you step into conflict. So it can come across angrier than you want it to. Yeah. And so I think we've been growing. It's been a struggle, but also growing in that. Yeah. Well, I've got one last question for both of you all. What piece of advice would you give to a younger nine who is listening right now? The the first thing that came to my mind was learn to declare, learn to speak, uh, learn to declare your needs, your wants. Uh, your voice does matter. You do have something to offer and speak up. Uh, don't listen, listen to that interior dialogue that tells you to just kind of be quiet. Learn to declare what what's going on inside of you. And then I think the other piece I would say is that, um, how do we say, we said the avoidance of conflict doesn't equal, what do we well, Yeah. You mentioned that when, you know, a nine, we're, we're encouraging ourselves to declare and to speak up. Yeah. And then when we do speak up and we change the dance a little bit, yeah. that might cause some conflict. And yeah. so we might bump into people a little bit and that that's okay. Keep speaking up. Cause yeah. I have seen that in my own life. I will try to declare and nobody listens because Kathy never declares. <laughs> and so it's like, I'm like, I said what I needed. And so peace is not the absence of conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's how we, we, yeah. we had heard that sometimes that, that true peace is not just the absence of conflict, that sometimes you have to have that conflict to obtain true peace. Yeah. Cause when you start declaring, you will rock the boat. You'll, you, the whole dance gets messed up and it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. Stay at it. Well, thank you all so much. Uh, so we've had all this wise conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we are now due for a little bit of fun. So stay with us because when we come back, we're going to be playing Cast Your Vote with Lyle and Kathy Drury. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring the story of type number nine. And one of the ways that nines are attempting to grow is to be able to step into conflict. And as we know in our modern age, there is no shortage of conflict. To explore this topic more, check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 30, where the gospel meets politics. The political situation in the United States of America should not be a source of overwhelming distress. Let's show everybody how this is done in a way that's healthy for American democracy. Because politics touches every aspect of society. So it made me sit up and take notice. It held up a mirror to my own behavior and said, like, well, what's the goal? But I left that space saying that I have to do something. You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for Cast Your Vote. Our game today is called Cast Your Vote. Here's how it works. Lyle and Kathy, we're going to read you a card, and you are going to vote for which Enneagram type you think is best described by that card. For example, who made the most money selling lemonade as a child? So you might vote for type three or type eight. You each vote separately, and you're going to keep your vote to yourself. Sam and I are also going to vote, and the goal is that we want to try to match what you voted. So if either of us match one of you, we get a point. If you both vote the same number, and we match both of you, we get two points, and we're going to play five rounds. All right, here we go. Round one, out of the nine types, who gets vanilla at Ben and Jerry's? Oh. (laughs) Who gets vanilla at Ben and Jerry's? I have two numbers. I do too. I'm trying to work this out in my head here. Okay, I think I've decided. I think I have also decided. Have you guys decided? Yeah, decided? I think so. I don't know if it's right, though, but oh well. Okay, so Sam, Sam, what's your number? I said type one because it's like they're the classics. They love the classic flavor. They can be a little boring. <laughs> uh, I also am going to say type one because if they're not very healthy, they will say, I don't deserve any other flavor but vanilla. <laughs> so it's like a self-punishment thing. But vanilla is a classic, complicated, complex flavor. Like, it's, yeah. it's got bad, bad rap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Kathy, we'll start with you. What uh, what number did you say? Uh, well, it's very interesting because I cheated just now and looked at Lyle, and we both put the same number. <laughs> and we both said nine. And I said because I was thinking... Because they can't make up their minds, so they yes, just said vanilla. That's too many decisions. You go and look at all the flavors, like, all right, we'll just go with vanilla. I almost said nine. That was my backup, too. I almost oh, said nine. Yeah. yeah, do we get half a point? No. <laughs> Sam's always trying to cheat. Okay, uh, round number two. Who would be the best double agent? Mm. Oh. Oh, wow. Oh, I've got mine. Oh, wait, wait maybe I don't. I know, it's hard. <laughs> There's the persona issue, but mm-hmm. there's the acting issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, juries, do you guys have your number? Yes. I do. Okay. Sam? My gut says three. I'm going to stick to my gut. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake things up. I also initially thought three, but I'm going to go with four because of the acting piece. I also kind of thought about eight, but we're, I'm going to go four. You're going three. Okay. Yeah. Lyle, what did you my say? My gut was three. I also get a point. I almost said three. That was we. I should have gone with that. Where'd you go? I said a five because they can hide their feelings. (laughs) They have no. Oh well, so true. That's good. Yeah, Yeah. really. I almost said seven. That's true. Oh man, Sam got a point. I got a point. Uh, Okay, (laughs) go with your gut. Okay, round three of the nine enneagram types. Who will break a world record? For what? I think I think it's just going to break that world record. Who can eat the most <laughs> ice cream cones? Nine. <laughs> okay, I... But I feel like the nine would accidentally break that world record, yeah. Not, yeah. not with intention. Okay, Drury's, do you have your votes? Yep. I do. Okay, 
My vote again is three just because of how goal oriented they are. I think that they would actually set out to break up the world record. My backup votes were seven and eight. For what <laughs> Your <worth>. backup votes. Nice <laughs> <laughs> um, of there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I. I'm going to stop letting you go first is what I'm going to do because yep. you keep saying my answer, <laughs> I, but I'm going to go eight. Okay. Just because they are, they have high energy. They're competitive. They do not like to lose. They l- really enjoy winning. So Kathy, what do you got? I also said eight. Woo! They're strong and won't give in is yeah. how I yeah. see and I also said eight. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, that point uh, has a nickname, and it's called In Your Face, Sam. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so Sam has one, and I've got two. Okay, uh, round four. Who would try to talk down the price of Girl Scout cookies? I have my answer. I don't want you to go first because you're going to say my answer. <laughs> we're just going to have to say, I think we're going to end up with the same answer as my gut. You think but so? I, th- I think so, but let's see. Do you guys have your answer? Yeah. I do. I say five because of how stingy they can be. <laughs> and- oh, oh that my, that's so good. Uh, that is, that was clever. Yeah. That they, was clever. And they're more likely to engage that kind of menial conflict, I think. And they're uh-huh. going to say like, this is ridiculous. Back in my day, there were only $2 or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> no. I so, love your old man five accent or whatever that old was. Men. I don't know if everybody knows that. <laughs> I think that's an excellent guess. I'm actually going to go eight again because eight's just, they love to haggle. Like it's, it's just, it's a little something they enjoy. Talk them down yeah. so they can feel like they won. So Lyle, what'd you say? I said one just because of their justice, you know. It's not right how they it's raise not the right prices. how expensive it is. <laughs> oh. so, this is wrong. It's, I'm going to fight for a lower price. So. I love I love the idea of the one in front of Kroger just going at it, you know. Just yelling some, at a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> making her cry. Uh, Kathy, what do you have? I said eight again. Boom. Be, you know, they would debate you. They would take pride in that. Yes, they would. All right, so I've got three points. Sam's got one point. So I could tie. All right, so here we go. This is round five? This is round five. Who would be the best partner for trivia night? Oh. But it depends on the topic. (laughs) What you got, Sam? Okay, I am torn... Between three numbers. <laughs> These numbers are based on real people that I know that are good at trivia. So that's probably my little bias. But I'm going to say six. And here's why. I think that they've the, got the most well-rounded knowledge. And they've got some kind of, some would say useless facts. Um, they wouldn't say useless, you know. <laughs> Versus like somebody that's a five might only be specialized in one or two areas. So I think six is more well-rounded. And seven is... More sporadic, I think, in there. So basically, you're playing the head triad. Playing that, the head that's triad, That's what yeah. you just did. Okay. Yeah. So I am going to go five. I also think, I think six is a good guess, but I'm going to go five because many fives see or read something once and it is permanently a part of their brains. <laughs> and so, so if they looked at a random map one time, they remember. So I'm going to go five. So Kathy, what did you say? Well, I cheated just now again and looked at Lyle's, and we both again said five. Yeah. So I said the same yeah. thing. They were more useful for meaningless facts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gonna absorb a ton of information. It never stops. But I kind of wanted to change my vote to a seven because you know what? Who cares? Let's have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so there's there's two sides to this. Sam frequently, majority of the time, beats me. Yeah, it's true. I am I win. <laughs> And I win on, on the, the Type 9, nine episode. episode. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Whatever. I am not sorry. I feel such vindication right now. I'm uh, leaving. <laughs> Congratulations to me. Thanks for playing. Thanks for playing. All right. And now it's time for listener questions. This question comes from Dolly Marie Lapp. What are some healthy spiritual practices I can put into place as a type nine? Well, I, I think mm. a good healthy practice, no matter kind of what, ni- what number was just helpful for me is preaching the gospel to yourself and just remembering that, you know, I'm loved and accepted no matter how I perform. And so that was just really helpful when I kind of, as a nine, you know, I hated conflict and I had to realize that, you know what? I'm okay. I'm not condemned because of that. I'm loved even when I fail. Yeah. One of the things that I, that I don't do this all the time, but one of the things I think has been helpful for me is to try to write down in the mornings, like identify what's going on in me. Sometimes I have a, a way of dismissing that or not paying attention to it. I think it's good for me to kind of sit down and say, like, what's, what's happening in me? How do I feel right now? And name those specifically, mm-hmm. especially the, the motion of anger. And I will sometimes name anger as frustration. And I'm trying to say, no, if I'm angry, I want to write that down and say, I'm angry and try to figure out what's going on in me and why I'm angry. So, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I think for me, similar to Lyle, just doing a check-in with yourself, but I especially connect to different elements of nature. So sometimes, especially in college, I would go out to the lake and just sit until I saw something that resonated with what was going on in me, whether it was like a a conflict between two birds or a broken tree limb or the way that the wind blew or like it's like kind of a metaphorical, you know, existential kind of practice. But that was and then journaling about it and then reflecting on it and then trying to put a scenario to it and and not just say like, oh, the way that the tree rustled really resonated with me. Well, why? Like and so just connecting with nature, getting out of getting into my body out of kind of my head. Mm, that's good. So in our brand new Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, in the back section, there's a, a chart that talks about the downstream discipline and the upstream discipline for each type. And the downstream disciplines for type nines are time and nature and silence and solitude. In other words, those are the disciplines that come more easily to type nine, the ones that um, that is good for them, that they're naturally drawn to. The one that's going to build some muscle is the upstream disciplines of fixed hour prayer and truth telling. So nines, perhaps more than other Enneagram types, are, are creatures of habit. And when you're all rhythms and schedules you know, get wrenches on them, it's harder. So creating a fixed hour of prayer, a time where you go and without distraction, you really pay attention to what's going on inside of you, that you're paying attention to God, and then that that leads to truth-telling, uh, that that then leads to the next step, which is I'm going to share this out loud with other people and speak up and speak the truth. So that those are the downstream disciplines and upstream disciplines. Okay, this question comes from Linter1982. Is there such a thing as a counterphobic nine? I know many nines who appear to be very driven people. I actually have a thought on that one. Okay. So what 
I believe not always, but I think often that that's where you can really sometimes see a real difference between uh, nine wing one and nine wing eight. Not that nine wing ones are not driven, mm-hmm. but nine wings eights are are especially driven. They just really pull that eight energy in. But my question would still be, depending on their level of health, how much are they being driven towards the most important things? Because there are some nine wing eights in particular that will stay really, really busy. But actually, if you look at their life, they're not spending much time with their family. They're not spending, you know, a great deal of time cultivating long-term vision. Like, they're hustling, but it's, it's usually not in the areas of greatest importance. Yeah, I also think subtypes are at play here. Um, the social type especially is the counter type for the nine. I'm a social nine, so I'm extroverted. I thrive when there's people, connection, action, and that can appear like I've got a lot of drive. And I'm not saying that I don't have drive, but I think to your point, like it's it's just a matter of health and, and what kind of wheels are spinning and in what direction. Sometimes I don't know like some, you know, how the, some of the energy comes, like you go to something to grab energy from in a secure situation and insecure places, you energy comes to you. And I think the nine, the three energy comes to you when you're in a secure place. And sometimes that, that three energy helps you get things done, be go oriented, you know, accomplish things. So, so it can feel, um, depending on the kind of environment you're in. Uh, like you're a driven person too. So that's the only thought I had with that. Well, Lyle and Kathy, this has been awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us and for sharing so much with us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's great. Yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks to our special guests today, Lyle and Kathy Drury. If you'd like to hear some of Lyle's sermons, head over to sojournchurch.com slash jtown. Special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry, who trained Sam and I in the Enneagram to learn more about their work or their fantastic retreats. Head over to crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by The Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.